today we're going to deviate just a moment from the book of Revelation. We're going to go away from Revelation 14. I'm going to share a message with you entitled, All In, uh, based on this, uh, this day that we are celebrating, uh, really a festive day, a joyous day, where many of you are coming to um, our church as guests, and we're very grateful, and many of our own people have cleared their schedules so they could be here for this special day. And the text is Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to read just two verses, 18 and 19. I don't know if any of you are watching the series on NBC called AD. I am watching it, and I am taping it when I am not able to watch it on Sunday nights. And I'm just fascinated by how well done it is. Now, I know there's lots of poetic licensing, and I know there are things that they have added. But the the ground root message of the gospel is very clear. In fact, last week, I think it'll be hard to improve upon last week. It's called When the Spirit Arrives. And there's a scene there where the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and the the twelve disciples and those in the upper room. I don't know if they were praying the Lord's Prayer or not like they were on TV. But if y'all could turn me down just a little bit, I'm, I'm just a little loud. If I get excited, then there we go. And it gets real, real loud. Uh, like I did in 2008. In 2008, I was in the very spot where they believe that the Holy Spirit of God came on the day of Pentecost, and it's called the upper room. They also believe it's the place where Jesus held the Last Supper uh, 40 days prior in Passion Week on that uh, Good Friday when He went to the cross right before that. Thursday night, they had the Last Supper. And so we, we took a group in 2008, and Lord willing, I'll take another group in the future. Why don't you go with us? And in fact, I already have people that are asking to go, and so maybe we can work that out. But everywhere we went, I would stop and I would preach. And in fact, we were on the Sea of Galilee, and we stopped out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and I preached when Jesus and Peter walked on the sea. It, it was wonderful. I don't know about the preaching, but being there on the Sea of Galilee was wonderful. Well, anyhow, I was in the upper room, and, and our little group was, was gathered around us, and, and I just started preaching about Pentecost, and something happened to me. Now, I don't want to get too Baptocostal on us today and scare us, but something happened to me. As I was speaking, I, I felt something that I had not felt in my life, and he just kind of came on me, and I started getting loud. And I started preaching, and there were other people from all over the world. They were in their own tour groups, and everybody turned toward the loud guy who was preaching there in that room. And and, and I can't can't really describe it except I was was just preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, and everybody started clapping. It, it It was an amazing thing. Never happened before. I don't know if it'll ever happen again. But afterward, our tour guide, he said, uh, I want to know more about this Jesus that you're talking about and that you're, that you're preaching about. When the Holy Spirit comes, we are all in for Christ when the Spirit of God comes. And that's, and that's the message today I want to share with you out of Luke chapter 4 because Jesus, in a wonderful mixture, in a wonderful way, he combines his life and ministry with that of the Holy Spirit as he's pleasing to God the Father. And here it is, Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. Man, think about that for a moment. The triune, awesome God that he is. The Spirit of the Lord, of Yahweh, the Father, is upon me. There's there's your Trinitarian doctrine. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news, to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to recover the sight of those who are blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
when Jesus said those words in nearly 2,000 years ago, He was in Nazareth where He had been brought up, and He went into the synagogue and He took the, the scroll of Isaiah. And when He took that scroll of Isaiah, He went to where we know is Isaiah chapter 61, and He basically quoted almost verbatim Isaiah 61, and He applied that prophecy. 700 years prior to His life, He said, the very one that Isaiah spoke about centuries before, I am that person. And I am here to do the following. Let me read it to you. It's Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. It's going to look very familiar. Look at this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Does this sound familiar? To proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn. Now look at verse 3. I love verse 3. Verse 3 is one of those passages that you see it in the Old Testament, and boy, it just resonates with you because all of us come into this world, we're, we're broken people. We're broken vessels, and we think, man, I want to be all in for God. I want to be all in for my family. I want to be all in for my church. I want to do all those things for God. But man, I know me. I know I am sinful. I know I am broken. I have weaknesses. I'm like that lady in that video. I'm trying to pull that heavy case of baggage and guilt and shame and sin. And maybe you're here today, and you're that guy with the ring that's off because you have broken your wedding vows, or maybe you're that young teenager in that video, and he's got this sense of, of anger and angst about him, and, and you say, man, I, I want to get to where God wants me to be, but how do I do it? Look at this verse. To console those who mourn, to give you, man, praise God. Look at this. God says, Jesus says, the Spirit says, I want to exchange your ashes for my beauty. And I want to give you, for your mourning, I want to give you the oil of joy and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We got any heavy spirits here today? Anybody here today that you feel broken up inside? You feel hurting and despondent and discouraged, maybe even uh, borderline depressed, and, and, and you come today and you say, yeah, I get all this all-in stuff, but how can I get all-in if I'm not any of that? I can't, I can't even reach up to God. Somebody help me. I'm trying to help you. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. It's one of my favorite texts. I preach this message all over the world. God's given me opportunities to preach Luke chapter 4, and just about wherever I go, I always try to go to this text and share this text because it is so dynamistic, it's so powerful, and no matter who we are, or what we've done, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of anointing on Jesus Christ and pleasing to God the Father, He always does something wonderful when we look at this text because it's so pertinent, it's so applicable to where we are. I was thinking as I was preparing this particular message this week, I was like, Lord, help me communicate. Help me to encourage people to go all in for you because so many compromise, so many have perfected the craft of rationalization. Let me say it again. So many have perfected the craft of rationalization, of hypocrisy, of saying, God, if I'm at the poker table, now that's a thought, if I'm at the poker table, I'm, I'm going to put in a few chips and I'm just going to play my bets safe. But I want to encourage you today to take all your chips, to take all of your life and move them to the center and say, I'm betting all I have on Jesus Christ. And when you go 
all in, that is where God begins to step in and He does amazing things in your life. Listen, you can't clean your life up first, then come to God. That's not how it works. But you've got to be willing to say, God, take my dastardly deeds, take my anemic, weak soul. God, take my hangups, my habits, my hurts, my hangovers. God, take all that. I'm willing to part with all that because I want all that you are, God, in my life. And I'm telling you, something happens at that point. That's where righteous, holy God meets sinful man. So I was thinking, Lord, help me communicate that. And then it dawned on me. Ooh, I love when things dawn on me. It's like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, in order for them to understand how to go all in for me, they need to know that I went all in for them. That's what the Spirit of God was telling me this week. Before you say, okay, how can I get this thing figured out? You need to stop and realize that Jesus went all in. He went all in to the Father's will, and it cost him his life. And yet, out of that grave and out of that burial springs life eternal for you and for me. So let, let me walk you through this passage of Scripture. I love it. It's one of my favorites. And they're just four simple axioms, four basic salient truths of Christology. I love Christology. I love the study and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, just for a few minutes. And I want to encourage you with this. Number one, Jesus preaches. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Him. And just that microcosmic small moment where I felt the Spirit of God in a way that I never had before, that's the way Jesus lived His whole life. He just lived under that anointing, that infilling, that power of the third person of the Trinity. I can't explain all that. I just love it. And he operated in the realm of spirituality. And that's why people were so drawn to him. They weren't drawn to the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious aristocracy of the day, the Sadducees. They weren't drawn to them. Those people had a lot of answers, but they had a, a lot of head knowledge, but they didn't have a lot of compassion for people. But Jesus does. And he says, by the way, I've come to preach gospel, good news. The, the, the word there in the Greek is euangelizomai. It's one of my favorite words in the Greek New Testament. It means evangelize. Jesus said, I've come to evangelize. I've come to share good news. Now, there are two other words in English that it says preach in verses 18 and 19. You might be interested to know that is a totally different Greek word. When Jesus said, I've come to preach the gospel, he uses the word euangelizomai, which means to evangelize. But later on when he says, I've come to preach to the captives, I've come to preach the day of the Lord, that's the word caruso. And it means to proclaim like a herald, like someone who making a significant declaration or proclamation. And that's important. But this word, first of all, in, it's preeminent where Jesus said, I've come to preach gospel. Now, what's so fascinating about Jesus is He is the gospel. He is gospel. He is good news. He is the one that takes our sin, our shame, our guilt, our difficulty, and He says, listen, hey, I've got a deal for you. You give me your junk, and I'll give you my treasure. You give me your hurt, you give me your pain, you give me all those things you've done, and I will give you life eternal, and I will give you forgiveness of sin. Oh, it's just, that's the gospel. That's the good news. But notice Jesus said, I've come to preach the gospel to a certain group of people. What does your Bible say? What does the text say? To the tokos. 
I've come to preach to the tokos. There are many words in Greek for poor. There's only one word like this. This does not mean just poor, you don't have any money. This means you're so poor, you're about at the point of starvation. You are beggarly poor. And Jesus says, that's the people I've come for. I've come to preach gospel to those who are poor. Now, stay with me. Did Jesus only come to share with those who are indigent, for those who are on the economic lower rungs of the ladder? Now, before you dismiss that, let let me make a statement. Who are the most receptive people to the gospel? It's the poor. You try to witness to some of the folks in Austin, Texas lately? (laughs) I got three Mercedes. I got four girlfriends. Why do I need your God? What? I've got more money than I'll ever spend. Why why do I need your God? Why do I need His help? And I just look at those people and I say, God bless you. And I just leave them. And I just go to somebody else who sees that they are tokas. They are beggarly poor. Now, Now, here's another part I want you to notice. Jesus said, I've come to preach gospel to those who are poor. Now, what is the prepositional phrase after that? This really helps us. He says, that's too much grammar, brother. I've had enough grammar in, in five minutes. No, stay with me. Grammar is good. In, I've come to preach the gospel to the poor, poor in what? Poor in spirit. In spirit is, I think, what Jesus really wants us to look at. He wants us to come whether we're rich or whether we're economically poor. He wants us to come with a brokenness, with a humility. In fact, that's the same word. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Do you know that? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it's the same Greek word that Jesus uses right here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize that they don't have it all together, that, they, that their life is not all it looks like on the outside. They know something is missing, and it doesn't matter if you're a multi-gazillionaire, a Warren Buffett, or if you're a beggar on the street, if you recognize that you're not God and you need God, then that's when God begins to do His work in your life. Never before. Never before. There's a lot of things the Bible says that God detests, and up on the top of the list is an arrogance. This erudition of arrogance that says, well, I don't know that I really believe all that. I don't really know if I need all that. Then Jesus passes you by. He just moves on, like He did with the rich young ruler. You never notice in the rich young ruler, Jesus didn't say, oh, 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 I'm sorry about that. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. I, did that offend you? I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't really mean it quite like that. Jesus didn't do that. He let him walk off to the precipice of hell because he had his moment. He had his time with the Savior, but he had rather trust his riches than trust in the riches of God. It's something whenever you, you preach, there, there's always this duality of preaching. There's this, this strange... Concomitant, there's this mixture of good news and bad news whenever you preach the gospel. Martin Luther put it best when he said, Preacher, whenever you preach, let there be law and let there be gospel. A lot of churches and a lot of ecclesiology today has a lot of, of good and grace, but they don't, have any, they don't have any sin or law. I was in a, a hearing Wednesday night testifying for this particular bill. I've never done this before. I don't know if I'll ever do it again, but a house... Uh, state Affairs Committee. A guy finally got up there about 9.30 and followed a lot of preachers who talked about a lot of things having to do with grace, but never anything having to do with sin. Listen, friend, you can't appreciate grace unless you know you've sinned. But when you know you've sinned, that's when grace is so precious. It's so beautiful. Let, Let me move on. Jesus said, I've come to preach gospel to the poor. Number two, I've come... Hmm. 
I've come to heal the brokenhearted. Let me stop there for just a second. Does that sound good? Does that sound like something you would be interested in? Uomai is the word heal. It means to, means to bandage. It means to put together. It means to assuage. It means to ameliorate. It means to improve. And, and it's not just in the physical realm. But more so, it's in the emotional and the mental and the spiritual realm. Jesus said, you have a broken heart. Oh, that word sun trebo, broken hearted, literally means to crush, to pulverize, to be shattered and bruised. And Jesus said, you've got this broken heart, and I've come to make it better. And that is, that's the gospel. Um, Y'all remember Celebrate Recovery? In fact, it's a great ministry. We still have Celebrate Recovery on, on Wednesday nights. And I need to do a better job of telling people that we do have it. And it's a phenomenal ministry. Started out of Saddleback Church. And a man by the name of, got his name right here in my notes, John Baker. John Baker started this uh, ministry, Celebrate Recovery, in California. He tells the story of a, of a lady who went to see her pastor, which is not uncommon. People still go to their pastor or pastors and they say, man, I'm, I'm struggling with something. Can you help me? Can you pray with me? And, and the pastor said, uh, sure. He said, what, what's going on? What's happening in your life? She started tearing up. And she said, I can't sleep. I can't eat. I am miserable. And I am on the brink of disaster. And the pastor asked her a question that I don't know that I would have the wherewithal or the wisdom to ask this question, he asked her, is there something you regret? That sounds like something Kyle Miller, a great counselor, would ask. Is, is there something that you're sorry for that you regret and you have not gotten peace over? And boy, I, if she was teared up earlier, she was pouring tears, shedding down her face on the ground. She goes, yes. My husband has no idea what I'm about to tell you. I've had an affair. I've had an abortion. I've been so unfaithful. My husband has no idea. It's killing me. It's driving me crazy. Pastor was quiet. He didn't say anything. And then she said these words. <laughs> Hold on just a sec. Somebody has to pay. I've got to pay for what I have done. And the pastor said, somebody help me. What did the pastor say? Somebody's already paid his name. Somebody help me. See, that's the gospel. She said, no, no, it's not that easy. No, no, no. You, no I've broken our vows, and I've done these things. I've, I've, I've committed murder. I've done all these things. I've got to pay the rest of my life. I've got to crawl on my knees. And, I, and the pastor said, no, you don't. Jesus paid it all. And all you got to do is say, I'm sorry to him. And watch what he will do. He will heal your broken heart. 
Now, that's just not a story in a book somewhere. That's a true story. Could be your story in Austin, Texas today. Whatever you've done, you say, I've got to pay. I'm guilty. No, you may be guilty, but you can't pay for it. Jesus has already paid. Number three, Jesus said, not only have I come to preach the gospel and heal the brokenhearted, and that's enough. He said, I've also come to set captive people free. Now, what was he talking about? I've read, they called these um, liberation theologians, and very popular in South America. When I was going through seminary, I would study about these guys, and something just didn't seem right about them. And they said, well, the greatest bondage is not spiritual, it's political, it's socioeconomic, and there are times you got to raise up your arms, you got to fight in the name of Jesus and be set free because he said, I've come to set you free. And I believe that's a real good misrepresentation of what Jesus meant. Jesus said, no, I've come to set people free of a spiritual nature, and, and, and it's such a spiritual nature that it really feels like you're in, encased, you're entombed with chains because, because your spirit is broken, your spirit is dried up, your, your spirit is in bondage. And Jesus said, I've got the key, and I'll open up your spirit so you can be forgiven, you can be restored to God vertically, and you can be restored to people horizontally. I was driving to work this, this week. Um, have you done that lately in Austin? Mercy. They say 100 people a day are moving to Austin. I believe it. I believe that. I believe half of them are on 183. Uh, on, on Tuesday morning, I'm driving and I'm like, I was telling Daniel the other day, I said, well, one good thing, you can increase your prayer life. Amen. You can pray a lot more on 183. And I was, I was listening to CNN. I, I, I was listening to the news and there's a story about this couple from Louisiana. Chris is from Louisiana. His wife, Trisha, is from Italy. And they're multi-millionaires. They, he, he's made a lot of money in insurance in St. Charles, Lake Charles, excuse me, Louisiana. And, I, and I'm listening to this. I wonder I don't have a wreck because I'm just, I've done that a couple times recently. hope I don't do that anymore. But anyhow, I'm, I'm listening. Amen. <laughs> Um, if I told y'all what God showed me about that wreck, if I, show, if I showed you, if I told y'all about that, I need to tell y'all something. When I had this head-on collision out here at Murado and Jollyville, and, and I still have a scar, and I'll show you the scar. In fact, and I'm just kidding, it's not over here. It's right here. And I'll show you someday, and I'll tell you someday what God told me in India by His Spirit about that wreck, and it was, it was wild. Let me talk to you about this family. Chris, Patricia, I've got their names written down. I don't, I'm having a hard time pronouncing it. It's, it's Cotrabone. Cotrabone. Him and his wife uh, would watch on TV how people would get on these boats and they would sail out of Libya trying to make it to the shores of Europe because Libya is chaotic. It has no government. It has no rule. And these poor people, these poor people are getting on boats. Maybe you saw just this past week, 900 of them perished in a watery grave, trying to get away from chaos, trying to get to freedom to Europe. And this, this man and his wife, they're looking at this on TV, and he looks at his wife. He says, honey, we got to do something. She, she says, what do you mean? And so they come together and created, it's called MOAS, Migrant Offshore Aid Station. 
He spent one half of his wealth. He was worth $16 million. Now he's worth eight. They have outfitted these boats, these ships. True story. And him and his wife and their team, they go out in the Mediterranean Sea off the coast of Europe, off the coast of Libya, and these people who are about to die and drown, he gets them out of those boats, puts them in his good boat, and transports them to safety. The people who are transporting them, it's called human trafficking. And human sexual trafficking and all kinds of human slavery is very prominent in our world today. We have no idea how prominent this is in our world today. And so this, this couple, they have spent their half of their fortune and they go in and they build these ships and they rescue these people and they, they take them out of those boats, put them in their boat, and, and the person on CNN said, why do you do that? That was a good question. And this is what Chris said. He said, once I looked in their eyes and saw the despair and saw the hurt, I knew I had to do something. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel. God has sent his emissary, his captain, if you will, of the ship. And the ship has come to planet Earth, and it sails these troubled, turbulent waters. And the good captain with his with his sailors, they, they go out in those troubled waters and they see people being abused and trafficked and hurt by the devil and by sin and poor choices. And he reaches out, takes them out of their boat of despair and destruction and puts them in his boat. A little further on this analogy, you know what that boat is? The good boat is the church of Jesus Christ. We don't hear enough about ecclesiology today. What is the church? What is the purpose of the church? I was meeting with a young lady just this week, and I was sharing with her, and, and I hope you're here today, and you know who I'm talking about if you are, and I appreciate so much talking to you and praying with you, and I, and I told her these words. I said, the church is a hospital for sinners, and it's not a hotel for saints. Really in our DNA, that's who we are to be. We're to be a welcoming hospice, a hotel for broken, sinful people so that Jesus can help them and minister to them and replace their captivity for his freedom. There's one more thing I want to share with you, and then I'm ready for some fried chicken. Amen. Can't be Baptist and not like fried chicken. Amen. Love that chicken from Popeye's. Amen. All right, so... Jesus said, I have come to open blinded eyes. He said, what, is it, what does that mean? Have you ever read the story in John chapter 9? This is the coolest, one of the coolest stories, maybe the coolest story in the Bible as far as Jesus dealing with somebody. This man has congenital blindness, meaning he can't see. He's never seen. He was born blind. He's going to die blind. But he meets Jesus in the temple precinct there, and the people have cast him out, and they don't want to have anything to do with him. And Jesus tells him, go wash. He washes. He comes back, and he sees. Now, remember, this is John 9. In Luke 4, Jesus said, one of the reasons I've come is to open blinded eyes. And I believe he didn't mean that just physically. I think he meant it also spiritually. And I want to, I want to show you in John chapter 9 how this, how this progresses. This is so cool. 
He said in John 9, he answered and he said, because they're interrogating him. And that's what religious people do sometimes. They just interrogate people. He, says, he said, I, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner or not. Just one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Isn't that good? He said, I see. He said, well, that's good on the physical realm, but what about the spiritual realm? Well, here, the interrogation continues. They said, you're a sinner, and you're trying to teach us, preach us. You're an outcast. You leave us alone. And, and, and this man goes from saying, Jesus is a man. Jesus is a prophet. And then he says, Jesus is, watch this, verse 33. If this man were not, watch this prepositional phrase, from God, he could do nothing. And then he goes from man, prophet, from God to verse 38, which is the pinnacle of this text. And it says, and then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus opened his eyes, not only physically, but he opened his eyes spiritually. And I want to conclude by saying this. If you're here today, you're not, poor in, you're not proud in spirit, you're poor in spirit. You qualify for Jesus' greatest work because you're brokenhearted. You feel like your life is a shambles. You're, you're in bondage. You're, you're like that lady I talked about a minute ago. Just shame, guilt. I mean, an albatross of, of just sin weighing you down, and your eyes are blinded. Have I got good news for you? Jesus, and only Jesus, can set you free. You know what's so cool about the Lord? Not only has He set people free who, who've done those things and, and they're, in, they're in that crucible of, of sin and, and pain and they've had a lifetime of that. God is so gracious to forgive and save people like that just like He is to save and forgive religious people. There's a lot of religious people who are not going to heaven. They have a, a modicum of religiosity. They have knowledge about God. And if the truth be known, when you look in the Bible, they look more like the, the Pharisees and, and, the, and the scribes than, than they do Jesus. But here's the cool thing about Jesus. I know I was one of them. Earning my way to heaven. Like Martin Luther, I... I would fast, I would pray, I would memorize Scripture, and I'd point out to everybody how wrong they were. Till one night, God revealed to me my lostness and how I was going to split hell wide open just like everybody else who is in sin. Got on my knees and said, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Have mercy on me. Come into my life. And I want to tell you something. God can save religious people. <laughs> he said, listen, I'd been preaching for two years. Y'all have heard this before. Let me tell you again. After I got saved, I made a much better preacher. It, it can happen. We were praying. A group of folks were praying just this morning. And one of the men prayed, God, save religious people today. Save church members at Great Hills today. What a day. Of salvation. Let me, let me pray for us. We'll have our invitation and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you, God, that you are the gospel, that you embody it, you personify it. Heaven came down. 
and glory has filled our land. Heaven has come down and forgiveness has flooded our souls. Lord, I pray today that there would be mighty movement of the Spirit. There would be decisions made. Lord, I pray that there would be repentance and faith. Lord, I pray there would be a rededication of soul for those that are here today. Lord, I'm praying first of all. Lord, they know who they are. You know who they are. And Lord, they are carrying that baggage and that guilt and that weight and they're paying, paying, paying. But the debt can never be paid. And Satan has them in bondage. Jesus, would you set them free? Would they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord? Would they believe in their heart that, God, you raised your son from the dead and they would be saved this very morning, this very moment? Oh, sinner, is that you? Oh, sinner, come home. The Savior is waiting. Will you let him enter your heart? Would you tell him right now, just with your head bowed, your eyes closed, just say, God, I've blown it. I'm tired of being arrogant in spirit. I now want to be poor in spirit, and I want you to forgive me, save me, help me. And when you do that, God does what only he can do. And I, I'm rejoicing with you because I believe in my heart today there are many of you that are making that commitment to Christ. Others of you today, you, you, you're like this song I've been listening to on the radio, and I... Sanctus Real sings it. It says, you were on fire. You used to be on fire for God. But over time, fire has dwindled. The embers are barely flickering. And you remember what those days were when you were on fire, when you wouldn't compromise with sin. You would witness. You would, man, you would go and show up and serve, but you don't do that anymore. You were on fire. Do you want to be back? I know it's old language. I know it's an old adage, but I want to say it because maybe you haven't heard this before. If you feel like there's a distance. There's a chasm between you and God. Guess who moved? You moved. Would you tell him today? I mean, really, today may be a day where this altar is filled with believers who are saying, Lord, heal my broken heart. God, bind up my wounded captive spirit. Lord, I used to be on fire, and I want to be. I want to be on fire. I want to be in accountability. I want to be serving you like I used to serve you. So Lord, thank you for what you're about to do. Pray for our counselors, pray for our, our pastors, as, as we just have a moment, Lord, here at the altar where we can pray with one another and encourage one another, whether it's in salvation, rededication, I pray that you would do your awesome work. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.